So welcome everybody to Sober Truth Series where we share stories of faith, uh, life, recovery, just really, um, you know, bringing in interesting people and getting to know them and letting you get to know them as well and uh, see a little bit of what we're about. So today we are here with Ben, who's an amazing man and uh, has a story of his own that is deeply embedded in recovery and um, you know, just a, a lot of interesting things. So we're going to jump right in and, and get going with this and say, Ben, thank you for, for joining yeah, us. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me. I hope I can live up to the interesting moniker, at least somewhat, <laughs> consistently somewhat interesting. So. so if some of you may know, I did a radio interview a few weeks ago, and Ben is the famous, really famous, he's up there, <laughs> uh, radio DJ for 102.5 The Bone. Uh, why don't you just tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, let's take away the hyperbole for a second. <laughs> uh, I do a weekend radio show uh, every weekend from 11 to 2. Uh, got started, uh, I'd say about five years ago, on the bone. We were tucked somewhere way high on the AM radio. Um, and then Is that good? Yeah, it's good. Ooh. We were doing it for a few years, <laughs> and, but it was, it, it's funny because uh, it was a right-leaning cr Christian radio. Uh, a channel and people would be in there. We used to be on Sundays. People would be in the car. And I can only imagine people tuning in. That's radio. where you started. Yeah, that's where we started. Oh, man. Uh, and uh, I just, every Sunday, everything that came out of my mouth, I was like, there's some family <laughs> in their car <laughs> heading to church or coming back from church, uh, you know, or, or, you know, whatever, wherever they worship and uh, listening to us. But uh, then, then the bone contacted us and, and we moved over there about five years ago and it's been, been a great deal. That's an interesting place to start. Yeah. Well, it, it was, uh, I don't know how we got in, in yeah, right? in it, but it, but, it, but it was fun. I mean, it sort of it gave me a little taste of radio and, uh, you know, I like to talk. You know, I, 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 I'm not much, but I am all I think about, you know, so, so uh, you know, it, 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 talking for three hours, like, and people ask, like, how do you do that? And it, 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 it's really great. I mean, you know, we sat yeah. down for probably 30 minutes before the, uh, yeah. before the, we, we press record and just had a conversation. I love to talk as well, so we, that's not a good thing. We could end up just talking. Hey, let's see how long, how many days we'll we can get this we'll see how long we can We'll find this. it interesting. <laughs> All you ever think about is yourself. Yeah. I'm right there with right. you, man. But that's typical for us that are in recovery. Mm -hmm. So why don't you uh, share with us a little bit of your journey, um, where you're from, mm -hmm. and a little bit of your testimony. All right. Well, I was uh, born in San Francisco, uh, born and raised uh I was. I bring this story up. I'm not going to. I'm going to do a little bit of the testament, but but it's it's an important part of my life, and it's the first time I remember uh, something wasn't right. And, and I uh, I went to kindergarten, mm -hmm. um, and then finished my kindergarten year. Um, summer break, about halfway through summer break, my mom comes to me. and She says, "They're keeping you back in kindergarten, so you're going to have to go to kindergarten again." Um, and this was before the whole Malcolm Gladwell thing. You know, now now. Parents intentionally hold back their kids because mm -hmm. Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book that it's yeah. a beneficial thing to society. But as a five-year-old who already went to kindergarten and having to go back to kindergarten the next year, when all your friends who you went to kindergarten with are in the first grade class, it was the first time in my life where I can remember feeling not a part of, less than, uh, you know, not worthy. Um, and I remember, like, I didn't like that feeling. Yeah. So I think I probably spent the next 17, 18 years trying mm -hmm. to never feel that feeling again. Wow. And 
you know, one of the things that I found before drugs and alcohol was uh, daydreaming. And I was a huge daydreamer. You know, all the fact, you know, to the, to the point where they were like, something's wrong with Ben. We need to get Ben tested. <laughs> uh, but, but, but the daydreaming allowed me to physically be there, mm-hmm. but mentally be somewhere else, right? Yeah. I wasn't thinking about those feelings of being less than or that I wasn't getting the math problem on the, uh, on the, uh, on the board. Uh, and that's what drugs and alcohol did for me. Yeah. You know, physically I could be there and, and, and present, or at least it seemed like it, uh, but mentally I was not present or there. Um, and then about seventh grade, I went to a party at Molly Guggenheim's house, and she had uh, her dad sort of cleared out the living room, um, and uh, he had left the you know like the little I think it's port or brandy or something mm-hmm. in, in the crystal with those two really nice glasses, and my friends went over to it and we started you know got into it and drinking, and I remember just like burning the hell out. I mean all the way down. yeah. But then it started warming, you know, and then it started oh, like, you know, getting that feeling of, uh, you know, after, and then I took a second sip and I closed, but it was, you know, but so, so I didn't have to taste it bad, but it still felt the burn. I don't think there's a, there's, there's a solution for the burn. <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, I just, at that point, I remember uh, becoming a part of the party. You know, I'd been to parties before, but always sort of been a wallflower yeah, outside, yeah. up against the wall mm-hmm. and like, okay, just, you know, try to blend into this wallpaper. But I got off the wall. Right, and I started talking to girls, and I didn't have this thing in the back of my head that, you know, was telling me, you know, you're not good enough. They don't want to talk to you. You're not good looking, and I had a blast, you know. Yeah. And then I would, you know, jaunt over to the the, the port and take another sip, and then go over and start yeah. talking to the girls, and then go back to the port until I threw up all over Molly Guggenheim's house. Have and you ever talked to Molly Guggenheim about this since then? Uh, no, I actually well, not, it's, it, since I've been in recovery, yes. Um, <laughs> you know, when when Facebook and all that stuff first came out and it was good uh, and you start connecting you start connecting <laughs> before it got evil yeah before it got evil yeah started talking you know connecting with all friends and people would add you like oh my god Molly Guggenheim like, I got drunk at your house I in got, seventh grade we talked about it I was like remember that party and I was like yeah where your mom had to come pick you up and we never saw you at a party for another year <laughs> so look I do remember that right yeah. so the first time I got uh, you know drunk I got into trouble uh, but I, you know it wasn't straight trouble in the beginning and, and then it just progressed and but, but, but Again, I found something yeah. that was going to not make me feel the way I felt and the, not make me feel the way I felt quickly. Mm-hmm. And so that sort of set the precedent for the rest of my life is I don't, I guess it was set before, but with drugs and alcohol is that I don't like the way I'm feeling. What can I take? What can I do to do it quickly, to feel better quickly? Right. You know, not a process, mm-hmm. not going through problems, but going around them. Yeah. And, and, and so... You know, and then of course I just got involved with other drugs, and you know, one thing about me, and I think you know, a good characteristic of a lot of us is that you know we're charmers, right? You know, when mm-hmm. when we want to you know do something or get something that we can do it, and I was always able to manipulate the system. I was always able to, you know, sort of keep the facade of everything's mm-hmm. cool, right? Like my character defect is the everything's cool guy, like or the yeah. you know you duck on the water, right? Like. You see a duck floating just serenely on right. the water, but underneath he's kicking like crazy. Sure. Right, and that was me. But I was always able to juggle all these things, right? School, and by school I mean lie, cheat, mm-hmm. you know, or do whatever it oh, takes yeah. to yeah, get yeah. a good report card, right? Yeah. To go to mom and say, hey, mom, look. Yeah. You know, uh, and I got into trouble in school for plagiarizing. And, you know, I was always, you know, 
God bless her soul, but uh, she, my mom was always there to bail me out. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, and, and you know, is that good or bad? That's bad. Yeah, that's bad. Uh, consequences was not something I ever really learned in life. And, yeah. and, well, I learned later, but uh, <laughs> you know, uh, living under the blanket of codependency is a warm, cuddly mm -hmm. place to be, right? Yeah. And, and, and so uh, I ended up somehow being okay at soccer um, and, and good enough to get into Berkeley with some, I mean, good grades, but not you know phenomenal. Um, and uh, I will tell you that, you know, I, I back in the day, uh, there's some other people who deny it, but, but I had somebody help me with my SATs. Uh, <laughs> and, and I got... But at least you admit that. Right. Some people don't like I, to admit it much I, I later. I try to live my life, you know, free and clear of any burdens. Of, it's of, a of good idea for all people that may have done that. <laughs> if you've ever done it. If you've ever done that. But um, so, so, you know, again, one of those things where you know, Berkeley let me in and, and, and I was supposed to go play soccer for them and... Um, I got to the soccer early before school started, about a couple weeks, and we had this uh, summer practice, and um, uh, the coach pulled me in like after the first week, and he said, okay, look, you know, we like you, we recruited you to come here, but here's the, here, here's, here's the truth, is that our goalie uh, was a freshman, he was all, it was a Pac-10 back then, he's all Pac-10, um, so you're not going to see any of your playing time until you know, probably your junior or senior year if you're lucky. So we're going to redshirt you so you have another year of eligibility. And, you know, uh, meanwhile, while he's talking about this and still, you know, sort of praising me and saying we like you, mm -hmm. but, you know, just laying it out. And, be, you know, I'm 18, 19 years old at that point. I'm a man. Like, treat me like a man. And I'm just thinking, obviously, this guy doesn't know who I am or how good I am, you know. And, and I quit the team. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I walked down the street. I had my soccer bag in my hand quit right there in the office and I it saw some Greek letters um, on a building and I recognized them because my brother was down at UCLA uh, and, and he had a fraternity down there and, and I had gone to visit him down there a couple times and had the time of my life. Right. So I walked into the fraternity and uh, second guy I meet was some guy I went to high school with. Really? Uh, he grabbed me, took me up to his room, we did a line of cocaine and a uh, shot of tequila and I was home. You know, and despite the fact that, you know, just, let's just say, you know, people, places, and things that normally wouldn't hang out with, right, is, but they were like me, you know, mm -hmm. they were party like me, it was, yeah. it was the animal house yeah. of, uh, of Berkeley, you know, we were on double secret academic probation or whatever they call it. And, uh, and, and so, you know, I, I joined that. And, and, and so the, the story just progressed. It's a progressive disease. It got worse. And I, 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 I use the analogy of uh, juggling, right? In my life, I was able to juggle up to, that, up to this point before I tried uh, heroin. Um, I was able to, but at that point, I've been kicked out of the animal house, which is probably, you know, my you two. You got kicked out of the animal house? My two biggest, like, accomplishments looking back on my life like mm -hmm. my using career is I flunked kindergarten and I got kicked out of the animal house wow um, but uh, and then I then I tried heroin and uh, uh, smoked it the first time uh, and the second time did intravenously and you know I know how old were you at that time uh, 19 19 uh, and uh, you know if there's a religious you know thing that I kiss God yeah. Right there, you know, and, and I spent the rest uh, of my using career trying to, you know, where is he? You know, chasing wanna, the dragon. Yeah, chasing the dragon. There's and, a reason they say that. Yeah. And, uh, 
so I was saying the juggling is, is before that I was able to jug, manage, you know, having this appearance on the outside that, you know, school was okay, life was okay, work was okay, girlfriend was okay, uh, addiction was okay, that I could balance everything, mm-hmm. right? And, and, then, and then, you know, trying to chase the dragon, you know, prioritized my whole life. And then one by one, the balls started dropping off yeah. until I was just left with um, my addiction. My yeah. alcoholism, and uh, you know, it, I had an overdose, um, clinically dead, uh, you know. But for the grace of God, uh, I was on a landline. It was 1993, um, and I was on the phone with uh, a friend of mine, and uh, I was, you know, fixing up. And next thing I knew, door I was out, door was smashed open, paramedics, girlfriend. Looked down, needle was still in the arm, phone was on the floor. Um, if that's today, I'm dead. Yeah. Because how many times does your cell phone hang up in yeah. the middle of a call, and what do you do? You curse your, you know, carrier. But landlines don't drop. That's true. You know, landline to landline. So she knew something was wrong. She had enough like wherewithal to, to, to you know, get help. So, but, you yeah. know, so you know, so goes the disease that that wasn't enough. You know, right. At that point, it was okay. I got to go to treatment so I can still have this because she, you know, she sort of, you know, ratted me out, if you will, uh, or, or made an ultimatum like you tell your mom or I'm telling her. <laughs> um, and so, I didn't want to lose that blanket of codependency, right? And, and my mom said very clearly, behind door number one is love, support, you know, pay for mm-hmm. treatment, we'll do all Behind door number two is persona non grata. Yeah. yeah. Easy choice, right? Right, right. I'll go to you know, I'll go to rehab for her and my you know the girlfriend, and, and so, anyways, it wasn't you know long. I remember I saw this counselor my first day of treatment. And he said, you know what, it's a pretty easy program. All you got to do is change your whole life. Yep. And I remember hearing that and going, this guy's effing crazy. Like I'm not gonna do all that. So my that's where my relapse started. You yeah. know, started because I wasn't. Uh, doing anything and so I went back to school and was I you know ended up using again and just woke up one day uh, it wasn't an arrest it wasn't any of that sort of outside stuff that had happened uh, I just remember waking up that morning and I knew that I had a, uh, a joint therapy session that's the other you know ironic thing is I was going to see that guy Mike Nerona who told me uh, it's a pretty easy program I guess right so I was right. seeing him after and once a month, my mom would come and, and join session. And for five, six months, I'm sitting there lying to him, you know, mm-hmm. about not, you, you know, oh, this is a sobriety thing. I really get it. You know, it's not that fun. It's not that great. It's hard to balance with school. Meanwhile, I'd been kicked out of school. My mom, oh. didn't, my mom didn't know. Um, but uh, I woke up that morning and I was looking myself in the mirror and I said, I'm done. Sick and tired. and so wow. tired. And, you know, it's not, it wasn't, like I said, it wasn't burning bush. It wasn't, you know, something that a normal person would say. You died, mm-hmm. like, or you got arrested. Like, isn't sure. that enough? And uh, so I went to the tr- that, that uh, um, appointment, and I first started off, I said, I have to tell you guys something. And I looked at Mike, and I said, I've been using for five months. And he looked at me, and he said, it's about time. Yep. You know, no S word, you know, and he didn't know, and, and you know, he just sat there and sure. he just sat there, and it wasn't like he was trying to take my money, you know. He just right. he he's he was a recovering junkie by himself. He knew that there wasn't anything, you know, that he could say, mm-hmm. um, and so that was, I don't know, November third, nineteen ninety four. Next day, I went into treatment. No, it was November second, nineteen ninety four. Next day, I went into treatment, um, and I've been sober ever since. That's amazing. Yeah. How old were you then? I was twenty one. 
Yeah, you know, it's funny because as a counselor, I have this kind of saying of, it's your story, tell it any way you want. Mm -hmm. I'm just here listening, mm -hmm. you know? Because uh, when a person's not ready, they're not ready. Right. And that's the, you know, that's the, that's the secret behind recovery. And whether it's, you know, we've talked about it before, there are so many different paths to recovery, mm -hmm. but yeah. the, 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 the path is a path of wanting it. Mm -hmm. You have to want to be on that path. It's not a path of need, mm -hmm. right? That path of need doesn't go very far. Yeah. I mean, you like, uh, how many people do we all know that, like, from the outside, you're like, man, that guy's an alcoholic or that mm -hmm. guy's an addict. But, but you know, it, 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 need will never get you sober. Yeah. You know, want will mm -hmm. get you sober. The only, you know, the only thing I think that people say that I, I don't fully agree with is when they say they have to want it enough. Where right. that that's an, I think that's another way of saying like just pull yourself up. If you really want it, you'll really do it. If a person wants it, at least I think if they get with the right people, they can begin to find a way I mean, to you, make it. I, I totally agree. With you. But for me, the want is I have to want to do. Uh, I have a terminal disease. Yeah. So I have to want every day to do something so I don't go into remission. Mm -hmm. Right? I have yeah. to want to, if I have a thought of drinking or using, that I have to play, I want to play the movie all the way through. Sure. Right? And, and I just don't, because how many times before, you know, whether it was a relapse or whatever, there'd be a thought, like, I want to get high. And there'd be an action. Yeah, yeah. Right? And there wasn't any window in between there. So... You know, it, it, the, the the want isn't necessarily self-will for, you know me. I mean? It, it, it's just a want to not have to live my life like that right. anymore. And it's a daily thing. It, it's not something you just say, I said, oh, no. you know, oh, November, no. or November 3rd, 1994, I want this, I'm good. You know, yeah. it, it's a daily, uh, you know, rem reminder of myself. Absolutely. I try to tell people, part of why I'm a big proponent of, getting recovery more in the mainstream, more in the limelight, where it becomes more of a normal thing to have a conversation about other than, you know, I have to stay anonymous to the point where no one knows I'm in it. Now, mm. I agree in anonymity, like, yeah, I don't want to get out there and tell everybody everything. Yeah, definitely the anonymity in the rooms and all that, but sometimes that carries over into life where we feel like we can't talk to the people closest, you know, to us about our recovery. And what I say to the men I work with is, Recovery is hard as hell. Right. And the sooner you get, you grasp that, that every single day you're going to battle. Yeah, no doubt. And I think one thing that recovery is so hard is because life is so hard. Life is just hard. Right. Absolutely. I mean, life, you know, we all have, you know, mm -hmm. a cross to bear. We all have, you know, life isn't just because you got sober, right? Life is still life. And life is going to send you curveballs and mm -hmm. life is going to, you know, but it's just how you show up for your life. Right. And instead of, you know, like I said in the beginning, instead of going around, Mm -hmm. problems yeah you know I go through them and, and it's still foreign to me you know yeah. it, almost 26 years later like I'm not processed or I'm not made for process <laughs> you know I'm not made for like uh, you know I know even though I've had so much experience in my life of getting through to the other side you know and, and being a more evolved spiritual person because I had to go through that I'm still, my first reaction is like, okay, what can I do? What can right. I take? Like, how can I get out of this? How can I feel better quicker? Mm -hmm. And that's not, you know, unfortunately, it doesn't, what, work, that it doesn't work that way. And there's, there's yeah. no timeline. How about your family? Are you good family? Oh, I'm great. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, you know, I have an older brother who, 
I think we're probably at 13 years uh, of recovery. He's in recovery uh, too. Yeah, we, we, I have four, uh, four of us. Um, two of us sort of were hit with the bug. Uh, but you know, both, both the grace of God, both of us are both sober. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, my mom is, is great. I mean, she finally, you know, laid down. And I think that it's almost like uh, my older brother. I got the benefit of, right? Because mm-hmm. because I think the older brother sort of paves the way. And, yeah. And then yeah. I'm the second oldest, so you know that pathway sort of paved. Like been there, done that. Like mm-hmm. yeah, you got caught with beer. My older brother got caught with beer. Uh, or buying beer uh, when it happened to me my mom was like okay you know this is just I guess being part of a team but he kind of got the short end of the stick because sure. she learned what tough love meant with me you know <laughs> I, I guess you know 10 years earlier or whatever however many years more so when it came time for him you know she, which helped I mean mm-hmm. at the end of the day it got him uh, you know uh, sober uh, I think easier. Sure. Um, so he kind of got the short end stick, and I have a you know younger brother, uh, a younger sister. Uh, everybody lives in uh, San Francisco. Mm-hmm. I'm the only one who lives outside of San Francisco, but um, we're really close unit. I mean, we're blessed. Right. We're blessed. Was your father around? He was around. Um, you know, uh, it's another part of my story that 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 it, uh, you know it was the '80s and. Uh, Divorce had one uh, yeah. outcome, and it was you know uh, War of the Roses, famous you know eighties <laughs> movie. But uh, yeah, uh, my parents had a high conflict divorce, mm-hmm. and, and for me it was hard because I was in my teenage years, and for any kid it's hard. But when yeah. you have to sit there uh, and, and hear a parent talking about the other parent, um, and, and if anybody else were talking about your parent like that, you punch them in the face. Sure, but you just sort of learn. Uh, to swallow it, yeah, you know, which is for us, for me, anyways, for a guy, like that's that's how I'm conditioned, right? But that didn't yeah. help, and it didn't go anywhere, uh, and, and so. But my dad was around, you know. It was just a different kind of being around, mm-hmm. I mean, you know. Like I, pl- I played sports, and he wasn't coming to my games. But you know, when they got divorced, he was outside my house every morning to pick me up to drive me to school before I got my license. So he, he was there, you know. Sure. He's still there, and and he's you know he's just a complicated guy, you know. <laughs> uh, and he you know grew up in a different generation, but I think at least I've tried to to the best of my ability, and I still have some qualities of, of him in me. But yeah, uh, and, and, and at least for me, and I think a lot of people in my generation, we have overcompensated as far as being a parent. Um, mm-hmm. And we'll see what that gen- what that. Uh, 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 consequences are, but the hovering, the helicoptering, mm-hmm. the, you know, worried about the feelings when we had none of that, right? So yeah. we've, we've, like everything, we sort of overcompensated. I know I have. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so, but you know, my dad is still alive. Uh, my mom's still alive. Uh, for whatever reason, uh, now they're best friends. Um, but it is what it is. So it's, it's yeah. nice. Let me ask you this, because I'm, you know, really interested in what people that are in long-term recovery think about some of the kind of the, you know, hot topics. Why do you think you became an addict? You've obviously done a lot of work. You talked about the kindergarten thing, but your brother also became an addict. Yep. So what do you think in your story? I, you know, it, it, it's funny because, yeah, I have been around a lot. I, you know, the hereditary thing, uh, you know, there's, you know, nature versus nurture. It's all that. It, it, to me... Um, it's, I know, all I know is I know it's a disease mm-hmm. and it's a deadly disease. 
and I know that because I've been around you know long enough to see friends die. I've, seen, I've been along uh, you know uh, long enough to see people commit suicide. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and, and to me, that's all I need to know, right? right. And, and, and um, I think that I became an addict because I just never felt a part of, you know. And then I found look, drugs and alcohol work. And, and that's the one thing they never <laughs> yeah, told yeah. me, right? Yeah. It is, I, you know, Nancy Reagan, just say no, was what I grew up with in the 80s. I'm the same right and, there with you. And then I tried it. Yeah. But what they didn't tell me is that it works. Yeah. You know, it, it, it works. I mean, you see it where people have a couple of drinks at a cocktail party. Sure. They feel loose. They feel better. They've let down their hair, you know, or, you know, smoke a joint or whatever it is, like, mm -hmm. or take a Xan. What, 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 they work. Mm -hmm. The problem is, they stop working, right? Yeah. And then you know, then it becomes problems, and then then, then you just keep on you know spinning yeah. the wheel. So, you know, I think that's one thing that, that that for whatever gene or whatever I have inside me or whatever hole, if I try to try to put a put a title to it or or, or a you know name to it uh, or try to say that it's hereditary, like I'm not. I didn't, you know, I'm not a doctor, you know, I, mm -hmm. I, I didn't study it, I didn't stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night, so, <laughs> <laughs> like, to me, it doesn't really matter, except for that I know, in my heart of hearts, sure. it's a disease. That's cool. You know, and it's a disease, uh, you know, it's a mental disease, it, it's a disease of the mind, because yeah. I've seen so many people, um, my mom's a normie, like, she smells liquor, and she gets drunk, okay. or she gets a little tipsy, so she doesn't really even drink, but if I told my mom, that her doctor told my mom that she was allergic to strawberries and she would die if she ate a strawberry. I bet you everything I have in my life that if she went to a restaurant, if she went past the strawberry aisle, she wouldn't eat any fruit around the, you know, around the strawberries and she would ask the waiter if the you know, dish had been mm -hmm. cooked. Right? Just overprotective, overcautious. Right. I'm allergic to strawberries. I eat a strawberry, I'm going to die. Yeah. And, and alcoholics and addicts like me all over the world are allergic to strawberries. And yet, we're, we try to rationalize. Maybe it's the outside of the strawberry. Yeah. Maybe it's the, you know, yeah, the, yeah. Sonoma Farms or whatever it is. Maybe it's just that type of strawberry. I'm going to try the ones from Brazil. So it's just like this. It, it's, so to me, that's, that's a disease. Sure. You know? Why do you think, okay, so uh, alcoholism became, legally became a disease in 1952. Yeah. Amen. Something like that, 52, 54. Anyways, in the 50s, early 50s. Why do you think today people still don't call it a disease? It's so interesting. I just had this conversation with this uh, uh, addiction doctor specializes in, and, and now they've gone as far as the, uh, what's it called, the DHM or the yeah. diagnostic, mm -hmm. uh, the, the therapist. Or, it's not even called alcoholism addiction anymore. It's called substance abuse disorder. Yeah. Uh, and so, and I had this conversation with him that this, it's the most important thing that I do, that I acknowledge I'm an alcoholic mm -hmm. and I acknowledge an addict. Because otherwise, you know, I have amnesia, <laughs> you know, I could, if, I, if I don't, mm -hmm. you know, maybe it won't happen overnight, right, but over a period of time, I'll forget about it. And or I'll forget about, you know, how bad it was. And then... I'll have that thought, God forbid, and there'll be no buffer, there'll be no time between the thought and the action. Right. And they'll be like, how did I get here again? So, yeah, it, it is, um, uh, I, I, I use it a lot, um, the, uh, 
IDB had the AIDS, right? Yeah. When AIDS came out, it was, you know, the gay cancer. It was, you know, a, a lifestyle choice. You know, and then heterosexuals started getting it, and women started getting it. And all of a sudden, it wasn't that way, right? right. And I think that one of the things about drug addiction and alcoholism is, is one, it affects so many people. Mm-hmm. Um, because there are, I think, 30, 40 million people who suffer um, in, this, uh, in this world. And you know from the family unit, how many families, or how many people is that spread out and touch? Yeah. And so, you know, unfortunately, and, and I say this with apathy, you know, the, 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 the white kids in suburbia are dying. Right. So now it's, problem, now it's America's problem. Right. Now it's an epidemic. Yeah. But guess what? It's, it's been, been an, an epidemic. epidemic. Exactly. And whether it was speed, crack, whatever it is, like... In 20 years, we weren't talking about opioids. We were talking about something else. Mm-hmm. So it's just a cycle. Like, it's going to be something else. Right. So, but but at least, I mean, look, something good can come out of it, right? And I hope it follows the same track as, you know, sort of the AIDS or some other some other diseases where people thought it was a lifestyle choice until, mm-hmm. like, it's not your problem until it's your problem. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and, and until you've been touched yeah. by it. Um, and, and so... I, I just think breaking through the stigma, breaking through this idea that it's a lifestyle choice. Yes, I made a choice to pick up heroin, right? Like I don't—that's not my disease's fault, right? But I also, uh, if I have a bad heart and I make bad lifestyle choices, right, right, and my doctor says you can't eat this, you can't eat this, you got to exercise, and I do none of that, it's, yeah. it's a disease. I die. It's, right. I died a heart attack. He didn't die of a lifestyle choice. Right. You know, so so, I, I, it's one thing that, you know, I bang my head against the wall. You know, we talk about the radio show. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think after you called uh, that day, or maybe it was the next week, because we did for National Recovery Week. But, you know, some people were calling up and, and, and you know, questioning whether it was a disease. Yeah. And, you know, they're saying it was a lifestyle choice. And, and, and it just takes education. You know, I think yeah. it just takes people willing to open up and talk about it, you know, if they feel comfortable. Sure. And sharing the success stories, right? Like, I would consider myself today to be a relatively success story in my recovery, right? And in 26 years, I haven't lied. Well, that's not true. I haven't (laughs) stolen. You know, I try to be a somewhat decent member of society. Yeah. I pay my taxes. I work. I have a family. And and all these bounties that I've gotten because of my recovery, but... You, you, you roll back the clock, and I was just a degenerate, headed for nowhere. You know, headed, you know, costing society. You know, uh, you know, yeah. whether it's in jail, institutions, or you know, whatever it is, because I used to just steal and get do whatever I could. So, I mean, if that's not a miracle. I don't know what is. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, your path was the twelve steps, mm-hmm. right? Um, I read on somewhere about you online uh, that your favorite book is the big book, which is common for you know, a lot of people that do the AA thing. But is it literally your favorite book? No, my favorite. I think the because uh, I was like, I got some other books that are really no, 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 no. no. It, it, <laughs> but I think it was my favorite possession. Okay, okay. And, I, and one thing that I did, uh, you know, when I got my first job and I started making a little money, is there's a bunch of editions of the big book. Yeah, and I, I went out and I bought. I looked for years to try to find a first edition, first printing of the big book. Wow. Yeah, so it's one of like 450 books okay. that they first did. Uh, 
And so that was the that was I think the question was what what's your favorite possession? Mm-hmm. And so that you know if I if if I have to be materialistic, that's <laughs> it. And, and you know what you know what I was really disappointed about? I thought for as much money as it cost me at the time, that I was going to find something new. Uh, reading it, really same program. It's the there's same a, there's a couple minor tweaks through the years, and, and the stories are a little different uh, at the end, but it's pretty much the same book. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so I was expecting, like, if I pay all this money, I want some spirit, you know, I want some... Something good. Something you know, good. Light to shine down. And But it is, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, it's probably the one book I've read the most. I mean, not probably, by far. Yeah. It's the most book I've, I've taken men through. It. I've read out loud with men, and there's mm-hmm. a connection there, um, with, which I'm sure you've had yeah. that experience with. And, and, and once, you know... That's not in our nature. It's not in my nature to let down and like read a book with a guy, right? Very true. You know. Yeah. And, and, and but but having you know uh, uh, having that person you know uh, want to listen to my story and listen to my experience, um, and it's a manual for me. It's a manual for sure. living. You know, uh, and it's not that complicated. It's a little, look a little outdated, but you know, mm-hmm. uh, um, but but at the, at the end of the day, it's probably still as relevant. You know, back in the '40s, as it is today. Yeah, I got a I got a question, and if you don't want to answer it, we can cut this part out of the no. video. But uh, or maybe you don't feel equipped to answer it. But um, obviously, I'm in the middle of writing a book, and I'm doing a lot of research. And and honestly, I've never really thought too much about it. But I, I keep coming across a lot of people that bash 12 steps. They bash AA, which is I really never thought that much about it. But now doing research, it's like um, you know, I was even listening to a few neuroscientists, and they're like, you know. Like a ritual, you ever listen to ritual? He's not I've a neuroscientist, but he's a podcast guy and talks about that type of stuff. And he's an AA. And he's like, man, people just want to bash AA. Um, why do you think that is? Um, I, 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 I think, okay, so he, he, here's my experience. Uh, when I got to AA, it was a God program. It was a, it was a religious program. Really? Yeah, in my head. Okay. In my mind. Um, and it was a cult. And uh, so I went in there, the, you know, because the first... Not all cults are bad. Yeah, right. But so the, uh, yeah, just the ones <laughs> just that make kidding. you, just, you just make one that uh, <laughs> make you wear Nikes and drink Kool-Aid. Uh, but, um, I, I, so I had this story in my head, right? And mm-hmm. so with my first rehab, they made us go to meetings in the little white van. And uh, I, 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 all I heard was God, 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 so blah, 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 God. So I was listening from that perspective. And so every time I heard the word God... I said, see, I told you so. You're right, Ben. It's a religious program. And then... And I take it you didn't want any part of it. I didn't want any part of it. Okay. You know, I, I was a recovering Jew at that point. Like, you know, I was... That's about the only thing I did well in recover, you know, recovering at that point was, you know, Judaism. Um, but, um, and, and so then, you know, I came back and I had that moment in the mirror and I had that moment with Mike and I came back and I still like would go to these meetings, and I would still hear God, and I still get uncomfortable. And I was at this meeting, and uh, a, a guy, uh, I was at the meeting, and I just got myself feeling so hot. And I said, "I'm just going to go outside, have a cigarette." And I went outside, and I had a cigarette. And a guy named uh, Kevin O'Malley came up to me, a little short guy, glasses, just you know. Uh, and he said, he looked at me straight in the eye, and said, "You're going to die." And I said, who the F are you? Right. I go, are you the God that they're talking about in there? That you know everything? And, you know, I was yeah. just punk. And he goes, he, he goes, after I said, what are you, the God? And I go, he goes, you've got a problem with the God, don't you? I said, yeah, I have a problem with the God. And he said, well, and, and, and 
this is the turning point of my sobriety, and I, I, I still talk to the guy. Uh, he's still sober. He's like 50-plus years of sobriety. Uh, he said, you know, this is not a religious program. It's a spiritual program. And I said, well, you know, what's the difference? What's the difference, right? And, you know, and he simply just said spirituality. Uh, religion is for people trying not to get to hell, and spirituality is for people who have been there and trying not to get back. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was just like, Bam. that was the moment. Like, you know, everybody has their yeah. sort of moment. So, but I think the thing about AA and, and some people it's for, some people it's not. Sure. You know, and, and, and a lot of the times it's not because it doesn't work for people. It's like if you go on reviews of, uh, you know, I, I would think the hardest business to be in would be a rehab, right? Yeah. Because, especially now with Google reviews. Yeah. Because if you get a bad review, that obviously didn't work for people. So Alcoholics and Addict wants to blame everybody else, right? Mm-hmm. It's their fault, right? The reason I didn't stay sober is because AA doesn't work. Yeah, you know, but but to me, it's worked, and, and yeah. to me, it you know, I'm, I, but but it's it, it's just not AA. It's the principles, right? It, yeah. it, it's the steps, and I don't. I think if you strip it all down and don't give it labels, right? Don't call it AA or don't call it celebrate recovery or don't call it religion. It all teaches the same thing, right? Right. It's about being honest. It's about not you know letting go of the reins. And, and it's about showing yeah. up for your life and, and, you know, cleaning up your side of the street. Yeah. You know, and, and so the, that's what religion teaches you. you know, that basically, the mm-hmm. foundation of all religions is really the same thing. As far I mean, I'm not a, you know, religious scholar, but <laughs> I would imagine they all say, you know, be honest, show up, trust, yeah. and fa- faith higher than yourself, you know, something other than yourself, mm-hmm. whether that's, you know, uh, you know and, and I feel the same way. And whether it's an uppercase G or a lowercase G, it doesn't matter. You know, it's just something other than yourself. Right. Well, when you, you went through the 12 steps, obviously you'd still do. So how, would you, how do you do that? How does somebody who's not necessarily a, a God thinker, follower, whatever, use for a high, higher power? So after that conversation with Kevin, yeah, uh, he got me. Whatever he said, you know, uh, he didn't get punched in the face, which at that point in my life was like, <laughs> okay, this guy's good. okay. You know, he yeah. passes the next level. I, he, uh, he, uh, he said, you want to go to coffee? And we didn't go back in the meeting, we went to coffee. And we had a, we had a, you know, a, a spiritual conversation about God. And he said, you know, let me just pull out the steps and, and, and say, and, and so you can see what it says now that you're not listening from just perspective mm-hmm. of God. Follow the next sentence. And the next sentence is, found a God as you understood him. Mm-hmm. Wherever it says God in, in, in the yeah. 12 step, it says as you understand yeah. him. So I looked at him and said, so as I understand him, so I call my God Chewbacca? And he said, yes. So the first year, my God was Chewbacca. And you, you got know, sober with Chewbacca. I got sober with Chewbacca. You know? right. and, and, and then it evolved, right? And then it evolved into an idea for me of an understanding of, you know, as cheesy as it sounds, the acronym God Good Orderly Direction. Right, so that was something other than myself making decisions for my life, mm-hmm. because I've realized that that all the decisions I've made in my life have gotten me to where I am. Yeah. So I had to let go. You know, one of the things that uh, I remember talking to a race car driver, and I'd always wanted to know, you know, that camera that they have inside of the, mm-hmm. the thing, and when they crash and they're in the spin, they let go of the wheel. Yeah. I said, "Why do you guys let go of the wheel?" Right, and he goes. Because anything I can do from that point on is only going to make the situation worse. Right. I'm in a tailspin. I can't control, you know, I, I'm not going to be able to get that car 
to do anything other than what it wants to do. So it was just to let go. Right. And have faith. You know, that, that wherever this is going to end up, it's going to end up, and there's nothing I can do. All I can do is make it worse. Yeah. And so for me, the good orderly direction is, you know, the rooms, my sponsor, my friends, and not understand that my decisions mm-hmm. are holding onto that wheel. Yeah. And trying to make it as make it worse. So it's been an evolution for me. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, I probably, for, if I'm honest, first 10 years, I kind of got that sick stomach, feeling my stomach, saying the word God at a group level. Wow. Yeah. And, and then, now I say it, no problem. You know, I do little, still, you know, even little little G, big G, like it's still a little flippant. It's still a little like, uh, but, but, it, but, but I do have faith, you know. I do have faith because... I shouldn't be here right now. Right. You know, I, I, I shouldn't be here and, and uh, I'm still here because I've, I shouldn't say I've let go of the wheel the whole time <laughs> because when I do get on the wheel is when all stuff, you know, hits the fan. Right. You know, in a bad way in my life. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's interesting because they say, you know, when people relapse, it's often because either things went really bad or really good. So it's an interesting contrast about how, like, why does a person relapse when things go really good? You know, whether they're not ready to handle it or it just becomes too much. It's the same reason, I think, that why, you know, with mental health, right? And people go and they get doctors and they get Mm -hmm. help and they get the medication they need. I don't know how many times you've heard about people who've stopped taking their meds because they feel better. Right. Yeah. And, and, And I think that alcoholism, addiction, call it you know, substance abuse disorder, just call it not wired correctly. When we feel better, I don't need to go to meetings anymore. Right. I don't need to do what I, you know, I got this thing. This is, but this is not a curable disease. At least sure. I don't know any, I don't know any yeah. program that teaches that it's curable. Right. It's definitely treatable. But I would, I think that's the same reason, you know, when it's good is, oh yeah, you know, yeah. I'm gonna stay home with my wife tonight and not go do my commitments or do yeah. my thing, you know, and you just get sort of, you know, it's like stop taking your meds, not realizing that the meds or the meetings or helping somebody else yeah. is the reason yeah. your life is so good. And yeah. I've been through that period of my life. You sure. know, I've been in my peer, period of my life where things were great, I stopped going to meetings, I stopped, you know, doing what I was supposed to do as much, and the results were not good. They were not good. They were not good. I mean, yeah. you know, the dry drunk, the whole thing, you know, that, I was married and, you know, I was going through dry drunk and look, I ended up wrecking that marriage. That's actually where I was going to go next was, uh, you know, the good side, okay, success, everything's great, people fail. The bad side, how do you go through a dark side without relapsing? Um, I only bring it up because you, you wrote a successful book um, on the happy marriage. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm interested, how did that even come about in your recovery? Well, and, and I just want to say it's one of those things that, again, looking back is a lot easier hindsight, right, <laughs> than when you're going through it. Because when, you, when you, you know, when you're trudging that road to happy destiny, you're like, why? Yeah, but, I went through a divorce, and I'm not ready to write a book right, about a happy well, divorce. Yeah, yeah, right. So the, uh, you know, the short story is that uh, we moved here to Tampa. Um, I got to start going to meetings, and all of a sudden, like the addict alcoholic mind started looking for the differences again. And that's another thing I think people, at least I was doing at the beginning, is I was sitting there in my mind. If I could have thought bubbles, people would be, think I was the biggest dick in the world. But I probably was. But you know, like you'd be sharing about how 
you know, you you know had to go to jail for three months. And my immediate response was like, that guy's messed up. Like, I, you know, I haven't done that, right? Um, and, oh, yeah. And, and, and so immediately I started going to these meetings, and that heads that, and I didn't even really recognize it, but looking back on it, I did. But that, that, like, they're doing meetings here differently. Like, they're not talking. About, the steps are still the same on the wall, but, and everything was still the same, but the format was different, though. So I just, like, they don't do AA, a right, in Tampa. So I'm going to stop going, right? right? And so I slowly, I mean, it, it was a progressive thing, just like my disease. And mm-hmm. this, this, this dry drunkenness or this, you know, pulling away from my spiritual connection or unhooking from my spiritual connection uh, was subtle. Right. And then I started focusing on work. And I started focusing on other things to fill this spiritual void that, you know, the, connect, the spiritual connection had filled. Mm-hmm. Um, where, you know, I have a spiritual problem, Right. I was trying to find a, the, the chemical solution to that spiritual problem with drugs and alcohol. And then I tried to find the, the monetary solution sure. to the chemical problem, or to the spiritual problem, and trying to find everything else, right? Women and all this other stuff. And, uh, and, and my, meanwhile, my wife and I just started growing distant, distant apart, and, and we reached a point where we just couldn't continue. But, 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 what where I was in my life, and that's the that's the that's the dry drunk or practicing alcohol. It's all somebody else's fault, right? So my disease was in full effect. Although I wasn't drinking and using, it still was in effect. Full effect. It was oh, my yeah. ex-wife's fault. If only she had done this. If only she hadn't done that. And mm-hmm. So I left angry, bitter, resentful. I was out for blood. Uh, I, you know, she was a fraud. And I was going to show the whole world, and I went out and I, you know, could find the best lawyer I could possibly find, and uh, sat him down. You know, sat down with him, and he was, you know, my best friend. And he's like, yeah, you know, I, I, we're going to oh, get sure. her. We're going to get her. And uh, so I wrote him a check, and like a week later, I got a uh, worn piece. I mean, it was like that thick of a, of a of a game plan of exactly what I wanted to accomplish, right? And uh, I had it in my backpack for a while, and I hadn't pulled it out, uh, and I was on a red eye back from L.A., uh, and, I, and I pulled it out, and I started reading it, and I got like two pages into it, and uh, you know, talking about a burning bush, a spiritual yep. awakening, I, I just got this, uh, for the first time in years of my life, I could see who I was, and I could see uh, from the outside, you know, looking at this person who... It wasn't the person I wanted to show up for my life, and uh, but I also had, had awareness enough to to remember what it was like. And this is the crazy thing about force, and this is the crazy thing about relationships, right? It pushes all of the fu buttons we have as men, mm-hmm. you know, romance and finance. Yeah. So even all the stuff that I had gone as a kid with my parents' divorce, I was going to willingly put my well, not willingly, but I was going to yeah. put my son. Through the, same, through the thing. same thing. And I knew where that path ended. So I got right two pages into it, and I just got this thing, and I said, I can't do this. Yeah. I've lost connection with, with you know, the person that I want to be. Uh, yeah. And uh, so I called, you know, I called a lawyer on Monday and said I was going to find a different route, and then I called Nikki, my ex-wife, on, on the same, right after, and said, look, I just need some time. We need to put the pause button on this divorce, um, and I need to deal with some emotional stuff. Um, she's like, it's about time. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. No, pretty much. <laughs> she said, look, take as much time as you want. And, and, and there wasn't like a, 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 I made it clear that, you know, our marriage has ended. 
Um, and, and she agreed, but I just said, look, we're about to get in some rough waters. Yeah. You know, there's, there, 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 this is where, uh, speaking of cults, you know, these are the water, and this is where divorce is so, you know, tra traumatic and, and goes so bad sometimes because those waters, you know, mm -hmm. people decide to get divorced are where cults are born, where religious extremists recruit, yep. where, you know, shark lawyers live, um, because it's desperation. Yeah. Right? People are, I was desperate. I was willing to write that guy whatever money he wanted because he was going to tell me exactly what I wanted to hear. So, um, you know, I, I went and I just got back to basics, man. You know, I just got back to going back to meetings and, and swallowing my pride and opening up and being honest with other men, you know, about what I was going through. And I went through and I did another inventory around, you know, my marriage and the way I've been showing up in my life. And then I read it to my sponsor. And I got about halfway through that thing. And I was like, you know what? I wouldn't want to be married to you either. <laughs> I go, you know, I said, I was a miserable person. Yeah. And so then, you know, after the, after a couple of, about six weeks, I, I called Nikki and I said, can we go to coffee? And we went to coffee and, uh, you know, you know, it's such an asshole. I'm sorry. It was such a such a such a, <laughs> it's okay. a jerk. We can say asshole okay. Such a such a that I didn't tell her what it was about. I said, "Can we go to coffee?" And I, it wasn't intentional because I, you know, obviously it was meaning you know meaning to clean up my side of the street. But when we were writing the book, like it hit me that I didn't like. I was cryptic about it. So she all she knew was angry, bitter, like f you, Ben. Who had left the house you yeah. know, six weeks earlier? So she's like driving to coffee. She writes in the book. She's like driving to coffee. She's like, I don't know what I'm walking into here. Right, right, right. right. And so uh, you know, I, I sat her down and I had uh, you know her coffee wait that I knew she liked, and we sat outside at Starbucks and I just said I love you, you know, and, and I said I, I went through it and I said I've done some work myself and I just want to say I'm sorry, you know, for the man that I you know was and the husband I was and the father that I wasn't. Because um, I learned all this stuff by myself. Because I was finally willing to be honest with myself, and that's yeah. like, and that's I think what it comes down to in recovery, whether it's you know mm -hmm. Joe's sober club or whatever, you know mm -hmm. celebrate recovery, or whatever. It's just about being honest. Uh, and, and she then in turn, you know, said she 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 was sorry too. Wow. Which is mind shatter, shape shifting. If you know <laughs> if you know Nick and I, we joke. I think it's the only time we apologize to each other. Right? <laughs> So during the divorce, during the marriage, at the divorce, and even today, fourteen years later, but uh, it was the best time, and, and it was one of those times where there was, you know, it didn't all of a sudden snap and everything was fine. But we had left the past in the past at that moment, right? And we had uh, that didn't mean it didn't come up, and there was both sure. buttons hadn't been pushed. But you know, I think as human beings, we all have the right, the cap capability, and the capacity to be ha happy. But that doesn't happen in the past. And no. that doesn't happen in the future, no. but it happens. And right there at that coffee shop, for the first time in a while, Nikki and I were living in the present. We weren't, you know, living on. If only she did this. If only he did this. He right. should have done that. He should, you know. And so, um, we dealt with the emotional side of the divorce first, right? And I think, and this is going to sound apathetic purposely, but divorce is just a business deal. Yeah. Right. You're splitting the assets. You're making yeah. decisions on life. You're just sort of. You know, but it, the problem is it's wrapped in yeah. emotional, like the worst emotional 
buttons people have and you know, fear and resentment and anger and ego and all that stuff. Insecurity. Name all of them. Yeah, right? They're all in there. They're all in there. And they're sprinkled with miracle grow too. Yep. Right? And so, but we were able to do that side of it first and then handle the, the business side of it. Yeah, too many people try to do the practical first. Right, and then you're making decisions for all the wrong reasons because you're doing it out of spite, you're doing it out of anger, you're doing it out of you know, hurt ego and all that stuff. And, and that doesn't mean that our divorce, like uh, right after that coffee shop, was, okay, let's write a book. Right, let's do the, you know, it's happy now. But it, it was... I kind of wondered. I was like, wow. No, right. it was, it was, there was a lot of, you know, fake it until we made it. You know, there was a lot yeah. of times where for her, you know, I started dating my wife. And she started dating her husband. And, and there was just, even though we had cleaned it up the emotional side of the past best we could, in divorce, you know, there are landmines everywhere. Right. And you're going to step on them. There's no way of avoiding it, whether it's dating somebody else, whether it's, you know, dealing with the financial part of it, whether mm -hmm. it's, whatever it is. There's landmines everywhere. Especially when a kid's involved. Especially when their kids involved. But so the, the next meeting we had at, at the coffee shop was sort of just top level. And I said, do you have a problem with joint custody, 50-50, you know, everything? And she said, absolutely not. She said, you're, you're his father, and I want you to have as much time as I have with him. And, and I go, Nikki, we'll work out all this other stuff. Yeah. And we were actually able to sit down and, and work out our settlement at the same coffee shop that the uh, Starbucks on... Bay to Bay, mm -hmm. uh, outside, same table, over eight, nine meetings. And look, she had her lawyers, I had my lawyers, uh, and, and but the thing is, they're two teams, but we were on each other's team, yeah. you know, and we were, we were, took control of our divorce, right? Like, lawyers, you pay lawyers. Sure. They work for you. You right. pay financial accounts or whatever. Uh, forensic account they work for you and, and so we worked out the deal you know we would talk in between and then we'd come back but it was just so I shouldn't say it's easy it was it, uh, it was it was easier letting us you know be on each other's team you know what's interesting is and I'm just sitting here thinking about this is in re walking with you know men uh, in recovery through divorces if you get a guy that's not there at that self-actualized place where he can step outside and see himself being an asshole or not, right. you get the guy that's either going to, A, you know, be like totally like, I'm taking her for everything, you know, he's, but it's actually all his own brokenness that still isn't dealt with. But there's a flip side to that, and that's the guy that's just like, I'm just going to give her everything because I know I'm so bad and I'm so awful that the she can just have everything. And you're almost like, don't do that either, because you're gonna wake up one day and be like, what the hell did I do? Right. It, so it's like there's a healthy the, the, midway. There's exactly a healthy, but, but it's about fairness, and it's about doing the right thing, right? Well, that's in the divorce, but I mean, as the, the guy in recovery, walking with a dude in recovery or, or female, right. He's got to be mentally in that right place, and he has to be in the, and, and with himself. That's why the, the the emotional side of it has. I mean, that, that that's what if we look look again. We're not doctors. We're not lawyers. We're just sharing the divorce. A happy divorce is just our personal experience, right. right? And a lot of it was we didn't know. Uh, as crazy as it sounds, and uh, that that there was no social media. You know, back then, I mean, there's MySpace, but there wasn't divorce support yeah. groups or divorce coaches or any of that stuff on MySpace. And now there's a whole world, right? 
Um, but but so we just sort of figured this thing out, and I and I guess that because of the foundation of recovery I had, um, it was about owning up and, mm-hmm. and and owning your actions. Sure. And it wasn't our son's choice for us to meet. It wasn't our son's choice for us to get married. Right. It wasn't our son's choice to have him. Um, and it surely wasn't his choice for us to get divorced. Right. So why should he have to face? You know, why should he be stuck with the emotional yeah. bill, right? Yeah. For our for our choices. Yeah. And again, everything happens in God's world for a reason. And why did I have to go through my parents, you know, divorce? And why did I have to go through all that crap as a kid? Maybe so I didn't have to repeat the same mistakes as as my parents did. Sure. And, and uh, you know, so that's, you know, I, I think one of the things that you know people hold on to so much is, is, is the, the romance and the finance, right? And, and and all bad decisions are based when those buttons are being pushed, mm-hmm. right? Especially for men. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and you know, I don't want to give up this money, right? Because she didn't earn it. But at the end of the day, I, I, I tell people who I you know talk to or, or you know going through it is like, how old are you? And they say, you know, 42, 43, whatever, however old. How many years more do you have right. to earn? Like how much, like let's, let's, let's narrow the lens or widen the lens a little bit. You're just like stuck, right to, stuck here in yourself and uh, thinking about, you know, how much you're going to have to give or whatever. But would you rather be right or would you rather be happy? Right. right? And that's the thing that I literally had to tell myself. You know, Nikki started dating uh, a guy that we knew. Uh, you know, they, they met, they, they, you know, connected after, but... Uh, I remember one day, and I always tell a story because this is this is the this is the mindset that I had, and when I talk about faking, don't make it. Is I was coaching Asher's baseball team, little league, and after a game, Chad, Nikki's husband's now now, uh, and, and her were at the game, and Nikki and I had been talking, and, and I knew that they were dating, and she told me that he was coming to the game, and after the game, you know, the parents are together, sure. and. Uh, Asher runs over and gives Chad a big hug, and he, you know, gives Nikki a hug, and I sort of sauntering over there, going, "Oh my God, this is gonna be the worst thing ever." Just smile. Not about you. This is about your son. Put on your big boy pants and put on a smile. And I did. You know, probably was the most awkward smile <laughs> I've ever. <laughs> sort of like a cricket smile. Yeah, like, but but the first thing I did was I went over and I gave Chad a hug, you know, and I gave Nikki a kiss, and I just want to let Asher know. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. You know? I didn't do that. Yeah. I screwed mine up. Yeah. It was in the history. It's all, like, thought out. It's, like, intelligent. It's mature. I was in detox when my wife and I got divorced. Or I think we may have gotten divorced a little bit before that. Actually, I was in my first detox when she married her new husband. That's a good time, by the way. Mm. Totally good time. Then that first, helps the detox. You're a lot. in your first oh, detox. You got a broken like, heart. You're, you're like, like your ego's being uh, hurt. Yeah, not, I'm gonna lose my son to this yeah. other man. Yeah, that it definitely was not the way to do it. Your way was much better. Um, but I, I unfortunately didn't. You know, obviously my a lot of my divorce was around my addiction, right. so it wasn't after. Um, it, it's you know the reason I got sober was for my son. This is what I always say. It's like. I finally got to the point where I needed to be in his life. And so he was the catalyst to get me sober. I met Jesus eventually, and Jesus kept me sober, but it was my son. It was that decision, sitting in that detox, being like, she's about to marry our neighbor. I knew the guy. Like, they were together as soon as like I left the house. I'm never going to get back to that. Right. And my life is totally a mess. 
and I don't even know if this recovery thing's gonna work. So I can't exactly go plead my case yeah. because I'm not even sober yet. Right. And so, you know, I, I had to kind of tough it up. And it was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do in that moment to be, you know, in that first detox, first rehab. And, you know, your ex is coming home with her new husband. And yeah, it's tough. I mean, look, it, it, I'd be lying to you. 14 years later, uh, we live seven houses apart. We go on family vacations all the time. We, you know, put out a Christmas card, mm -hmm. our happy divorce Christmas card. I've been doing it for five years of all of us together. Yeah. Uh, my daughter is with Chad today at work, uh, Nikki's husband. Okay. Um, and, and, and yet, about a month ago, uh, Asher comes in and he goes, hey, Chad and I are going down to the Keys fishing. And Asher, my, our son's a huge fish, he loves to fish. Mm -hmm. And uh, my first reaction is like, Ooh, you know really yeah i mean it's look i'm a, I'm a man i'm, I'm a full dude, man. i'm a full of ego you know yeah. and, but but it, it it that doesn't mean it's real right ah that's Th important that's the ego yeah. right and, and and one thing that nikki and i were able to do is drop the ego yeah right and, and so it just comes a little easier now just like i was walking over there to to, to, to <laughs> hug chad yeah. like i had to talk myself yeah. off the cliff it's not about you Right. Drop the ego. Put on your big boy pants. This isn't about you. You brought yeah. this kid into this world, mm -hmm. right? And so, the, the, like the playing the movie all the way through is a little easier. Like, yeah, I get that gut punch, but I can identify that's just ego. What a great opportunity that Asher and Chad, who is a second dad to him, mm -hmm. get to spend that time together. Yeah. And, and I know Nikki goes the same. You know, th thing when when my wife puts Asher to sleep, or when he was literally put her to sleep. So it's. It's still it's sure. still an ego thing, yeah. But but that's you know that that that's the first thing. But I think that the poor thing that you brought up is your son. You did it for your son, um, and I think you know we obviously did the divorce and you know, uh, but but it, it comes down to signalness of purpose. Yeah, you know, and, and I think that that th when I have that in my life, uh, and, and I have that you know whether it's you know getting sober. You know, I think one of the greatest things about AA. Or twelve-step programs, or any uh, you know recovery or group setting, is that there's singleness of purpose, right? It's not a political, it's not right. socioeconomic, it's not anything except for whatever that group's about, right? Mental health, or so get sober, or Christ, or whatever you know, whatever it is. Yeah. And you know, we had singleness of purpose with our son. Yeah. And it wasn't. That's it. Like we put it, we put him here. Sure. And, and we're determined not to hand him with emotional bill. How long have you been sober at that point? Yeah, see, that's the other thing you broke. So funny. Thanks for coming back. <laughs> but, I, you know, everybody, since we've been doing this book, people are talking, and I talk about my disease. They said, so did you get sober? Is that... And I wish I had that excuse, right? I mean, it's almost <laughs> like... It's almost, no, actually, I was uh, 12 years sober at the time, you know? Wow. And so, it's, it's just so funny because everybody asks that question. I, yeah. I, but, it, you know... It's a reasonable but, question. But it's a definitely reasonable question, but it just shows you that much damage can be done, and it's not the drinking and the drugging. Mm -hmm. the, the disease is... That's just a symptom. Yeah. And so, you know, if, if I don't have that spiritual connection, then I'm not hooked up. I will look for other things to hook up, you know, yeah. spiritual connect to, to try to fill that spiritual. Home. I heard something the other day that like is um, I do get into a lot of like I said it before these neuroscientists that are investigating different things yep. in the brain and how it all works out with the reward system. But 
um, there was a study done in uh, Stanford University did a study oh. on uh, uh, <laughs> Berkeley did a study a college did a study on um, uh, like a daycare or whatever with the and they took um, out of all these kids that were at daycare they they found the ones that like to paint every single day and maybe you've heard about this but they they pulled the ones that like to paint every single day at, at playtime uh, aside and they started giving them gold stars at the end of each day so they paint a painting and at the end of the day they'd be like here's a gold star great job and they did it for an extended period of time and then one day they stopped giving the gold stars to see what would happen and lo and behold those kids stopped painting really because their brain adjusted to the rewards. external external reward yeah. And that's the thing, and I, I, I'm going to be hammering this home to everybody I counsel, but that external reward is damning to us in recovery. And it's so easy to fall victim to that. It's like I, I said on the radio show when you, they asked, uh, how long do I think it takes a guy's brain to heal? And, mm -hmm. be, and on average, it's, it's three years. And uh, I try to tell the men that come in here, we're open-ended because we expect you to stay multiple years because it takes that long before you stop making really stupid decisions. Okay? Um, we take mostly guys that have been in and out of 15 right. programs, you know, so they've done the deal. They're not first-timers. And in, in the problem with, like, when it comes to things like women, jobs, cars, apartments, uh, so they're all external. And telling these guys as soon as they walk in the door was, I'm not even gonna consider letting you talk to a girl until 12 months. And then I'm, you're gonna have to talk to all of us to figure out if you're even close to being ready. But I, I'm a man, I need companionship. I'm like, yeah, you're an addict who needs companionship right. because you're codependent. Yes. That's totally different. Or instant gratification. Yeah, instant gratification. But it's that external reward that we can become so accustomed to that it just slides in there. And we don't even know that it's there. But if we don't learn to turn our to our inner self, right, you know, and, and let the, the rewards that we seek after come from inside of us, mm. we won't make it in recovery. We won't, and, and that's why 12 Steps has the 12th step. That's why Christian, I make disciples. I try to help men, you know, follow Jesus and transform their life, but it's internally, there's a reward from that because it's something bigger than me, yeah. outside of me, that, that I can't be bought, can't be manipulated to get, can't be lied to to get, all that. And it's so important, like for us in recovery, to to finally see like what it means to truly know what internal rewards mean to us. In the beginning, it was my son. Now it's other men and other women and their wives. But if you know, the moment that I'm like, I just want to make some more money. There's, mm -hmm. I can make some more money. I can just go get more donors, and mm -hmm. I want a nicer car. And here's a funny story. A couple months ago, okay, before my I. I totally bottomed out in life, I drove a Harley. In fact, I had to sell my Harley to, because I went into debt and all that. And I always said, one day I'm gonna get, that, get a Harley back. And so, for whatever reason, over the last five months, I decided I wanna get a Harley. Now, I don't make any money, I don't have any money, I don't even know anybody with any money, so that's kind of like not a possibility. But beyond that, to mentally start obsessing about that, really took me out of where I am. I started, yeah, I mean, I started struggling with, you know, things I had never, I hadn't struggled with in like a long time and not 
alcohol or drugs per se, but right. addictive behaviors yeah. that all of a sudden it's like, you know, whether it's lust or porn or right. whatever, it's like all these things that like, wait a minute, I cleaned up my street. Why are they tempting me again? And I'm like, it's that damn Harley. I don't even have it. Yeah. I just want it. Yeah. And because I want it, it's taking my focus out of what's internal yeah. and putting it on the external. Yeah. It was one thing you said about the external is uh, when I got sober and was working with uh, Kevin for a little bit, but then somebody else after, he told me I had to do something nice for somebody every day. Yeah. I was yeah. Like, That's no problem, man. I can do that. <laughs> but the catch was I couldn't tell anybody. Yeah. And to me, like, I was like, okay, whatever. So, you know, we meet, where I talk to him every day and go, did you do something nice? I go, yeah, you wouldn't believe what I did. He goes, I don't want to know. Right, You're right. not allowed to tell anybody. And then after a while, the exercise became clear, right, that it wasn't about, I mean, it was about doing something nice, but, but my reward system mm -hmm. was spreading it, you know, across the world about what I had done to get those, yes. you know, oh, you're a great guy, Ben. Yeah. You did that? And, it, and then it took away from the selfless act that I, whatever I was doing, whether it was you know, you know, paying for somebody's coffee or you know, something little. But yeah. I, I realized that, that about myself going through that exercise that when I did something, it wasn't that I didn't do uh, things nice, but the motivation. Motivation behind it. And that's actually in the Bible. If yeah. you didn't know that. It's like no. Jesus has a saying where he's like, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Mm. So if you give to the poor, you can keep it from yourself. Yeah. Because basically he knew then, 2,000 years ago, you're going to make it about you. And it's not about you. It's about helping the other person, but there's more to it than even that. And, and, it, and there's, again, there, that's why there's so many similarities between whatever, like, spiritual path. That I think oh, yeah. That, right, if you strip it all down, all the, you know, all your, you know, wonderful books and your, the, the Bible or the Torah or the Quran or, you know, if you, if you take the label out of what mm -hmm. it is... I think it's just being showing up for your life, you know, yeah. and, and, and all the other spiritual principles that we, you know, we talked about. Because I think what you know, all of those have to be the same because recovery is the same. Mm -hmm. It's like you could look at it through the lens of like, okay, all these, you know, yeah, spiritually speaking, yeah, you know, there's Buddhist principles in Christianity and, and vice versa, and all these other things. But in recovery, I think there's a central theme that we have to live in recovered lives. And however, what path you choose to use is one thing, but the principles don't change. No. You can't go into recovery, like tell somebody who's brand new in detox and be like, you just gotta make life all about you and right, you'll be right, good. Right, right, yeah, just yeah. get ahead. Right. You know, capitalist right. recovery, let's call it. It's like, yeah, just, just slay everybody else. Or, or just suck it up, right? Yeah, don't talk just, about it, you just, you'll be fine. You'll be yeah. fine. Suck, stay, it's, you ever see uh, Talladega Nights? Yeah. Stuff that down. Stuff, stuff that, that down. down. Yeah. Yeah. Way down. <laughs> <laughs> stuff that down. Yeah. I love that. So I want to kind of yep. end on this. Um, so you know I'm writing a book. Yep. And... Um, so the book is really, it's about, you know, recovery, of course, and what I've experienced in my years of leading people, and plus in my own recovery of 14, 15 years now, um, you know, my own experiences and the way, the things I've learned and the things that I've seen people do wrong, if you will, mm -hmm. um, not like I know the way, mm -hmm. but just things that haven't worked. And so the, the book um, is going to be based on, you know, recovery seen through a new lens where um, obviously I have the Ministry of the Sober Truth Project, which the idea behind it is 
the world needs to see recovery different around addiction, mental health, and suicide prevention. Where a lot of times it's like we want to see the, the issue. It's like see addiction different or mental health different or suicide prevention different where if you actually know about it, it's right. You just got to learn the right thing. Right. It's kind of like you, we don't need to change addiction. It's a disease and other people need to know that. So the definition is right. People need to learn the definition. But if people knew the definition, they would understand that the recovery around these things is different. And I personally believe um, that recovery, if we had, you said you've, you've studied the Portugal um, ways that they've went about changing yep. addiction over there. And if you don't know what that is, look up Portugal and, and look at their, the changes they made in their system on the way they approach drug abuse and drug addiction. It's amazing, it's phenomenal stuff. But the whole concept of making an environment that is more empathetic and more welcoming instead of like, let's just throw everybody in jail. Right, right. You know, and... Yeah, how's that work? How's that working <laughs> yeah, for you? The war yeah. on drugs is a crop. Yeah. So... We've um, lost. We, we, we yeah. lost that a long time yeah. ago. Um, so my thought is like trying to help people understand that the recovery really is up to everybody, which is a far out there concept, but for so long we wanted to say that addict needs to just pull himself up, the person with mental health just to stay away from me, so on and so forth, or it's that family's problem or that community's problem, but I don't want to have anything to do with it. But what if like it's not the individual's problem, but it's a shared society's problem? Right. And so instead of doing like what I want to do for myself, I recognize that I need to do things different because people are in recovery around me, hmm. you know? And, and it's mind blowing to me how many people, how many families I talk to, and maybe even you the same, where they'll put their kid in and out of 20 rehabs and they can't understand why they won't stay sober. And the kid finally gets sober for 90 days and they get to go on a home visit and the family's drinking at the time they're at the visit because, well, I'm not the alcoholic. And, it's, and I, I just want to be like, have you learned nothing? Right. I get it. You don't want to stop drinking because this person's an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. But then don't complain when they come home right. and you're drunk as crap. And, and front there's of alcohol them. over there. There's alcohol right. and they relapse. It's, there's got to be an understanding here, people. Nature and nurture. Yeah. And we, we all have to. Yeah, there's, there's a certain sacrifice that people that are in in life with people that are in recovery have to make yeah, yeah. And, and you know it's so, because I, I i'm not yeah i have a lot of AA friends i have a lot of people in recovery friends i have people who do go to like the different pathways in recovery. my wife's in sobriety uh she doesn't go to AA meetings but she's found her own path and but i also hang out with people who drink alcohol and you know maybe do recreational uh, drugs i'm okay with that you got but, there but but they would never offer ever offer or and, and, and look this is this is something i don't talk about a lot but there was a time when my wife uh, right in my divorce where i had that thought mm -hmm. and i uh called a friend of mine who drinks and i said let's go drinking and he said buddy go to a meeting <laughs> I mean, he's never been to a meeting, right? He's never, but, but, but of course, if I, I mean, he's one of my best friends. We have long conversations about it. He drinks. And he goes, buddy, go to a meeting. Call me after. If you want to go drinking, we'll go drinking. You know? Yeah. And sure enough, you know. Of course not. So, so I build that net. That's what, probably why I'm so, you know, maybe so open about it. So yeah. everybody around me knows 
that if I tell them, you know, to go drink it and educate them too, mm-hmm. that that's the that's the nature, right? That's the that's the surrounding yeah. my sobriety uh, enough and protecting it enough. So if I do have that momentary lapse um, where I don't have that, you know, play the movie all the way through, then my who I call in my life, yeah, you know, are gonna just say. You know, know what to do, right? And and so that's it's an important part that it's just recovery is just not on the individual, right? You know, it's on the family, it's on the you know, it, it, it's a whole sure you know universe. And we, we could get into the whole like you know like the whole Portugal philosophy, like yeah. let's put our money towards more better rehabs, and it's just it, it's things need to change, um, yeah. I believe especially now with the coronavirus and more people falling into addiction and mental health issues than ever before as a society this is gonna we're not gonna snap out of this right away Um, we have to change or we're gonna see a lot of people that really destroy their lives yeah I mean look you see that you know you turn on the news uh, and you see the death toll and the numbers affected and, and and it's no pun intended but it's sobering right but Imagine if they had the death toll and the uh, those afflicted with addiction and and look, I'm not comparing one disease to another. Like I'm not here to say one, but this, you know, before COVID or whatever, like alcohol and drug addiction is the number one public health thing facing yeah, our country. Absolutely, because it doesn't just affect the individual; it affects the whole family yeah. unit, society, you know, uh, medical world. I mean, the amount of money that it costs. You talk about jailing and institutions. Like, how much if we repurpose that money towards getting people treatment or to getting people healthy? You know, it, it would blow people's mind the amount yeah. of money that alcohol and drug addiction and mental health could cost society. But more importantly, the money, like the family unit, the generational stuff. You know, yeah. losing. You know, kids, parents having to lose kids. Yeah. I mean, it's just not. But but the silver line is it's treatable. Yeah, you know, it really is. It's a treatable um, disease, but the it's it ha- takes an education for everybody yeah. that it's surrounding, mm-hmm. and um, unfortunately, thus far, people haven't been willing. But I, you know, we have to believe and hope that there's going to be a change coming. I, I mean, I, I, look, I think that as far as you know, my limited time on, on this planet being sober, that that I have seen a shift. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen like you just look at politicians now. I mean, not that that's the marker. Okay. Right? That's not the marker of, you know, enlightenment, right? But they're talking about it on, yeah. their, on their stump speeches, right? They're talking about opioid, you know, what, again, whatever it took, it's not something new. Like, you know, yeah. a, a drug epidemic is not something new. We've talked about it earlier. But they're talking about it. Yeah. Right? They're passing bills. They're, they're doing things for, you know, Purdue Pharma and hitting bankrupting the company basically yeah um yeah they made a lot of money in the meantime but you I, think <laughs> i just think there's there, there is yeah there there's a, a i wouldn't call it a you know a drastic change but when you start seeing politicians stoop on it mm-hmm. or stump on it whatever it's called then you know at least we're getting it in uh mainstream mainstream it, it's going into the mainstream yep. so yeah i mean you know it's it, to me um it is hopeful in that sense as somebody working in like a self-funded, self-raise the money, uh, you know, let us see the money. Right, exactly. And, and it's like, okay, show me the, show money. Me the money and I'll get, behind, I'll get behind any politician that shows us the money right. to keep this place open. Right. 
And uh, thus far, it, it, you know, no one has really, yeah. it's all been talk. And, and, so, and the other thing about the, the thing is it, it, the people like you who are just doing amazing work, uh, I think it's going to take a lot of collaboration too between, yeah. because there's so many people trying to you know, do such good work and there's, it, it, you're right, not only politicians, but but you know I, I sit on a couple nonprofit national boards that deal with alcohol and drug addiction, you know young people in recovery um, and, and a couple others. But it's hard to raise money. Yeah, it's hard to raise money for this because uh, I need to find a different word. But a sobering moment was I, I was sitting in front of one of the richest men in America, uh, and I, and I had helped his son out. Uh, you know, get sober and you know, take you know, sponsor them and, and, and do all that. And then I went back and I, I you know, I, it was on this this board, the national board, which we're in a fundraising thing. And uh, you know, unfortunately, his, his son stayed off of heroin, uh, but you know, started drinking again. Um, and I, I was talking about this, you know, nonprofit, and he declined to, you know, give money, which is obviously his prerogative. But but you know, there's just uh, at that point, uh, this was probably 1998. Uh, or 99 but it just was at the moment was like oh you know because yeah. this doesn't this denial thing just doesn't go with the with with the afflict you know the person inflicted with the disease right. it's also the family yeah you know and I think by writing a check or having his name as the lead you know investor on this you know it was like a three million dollar campaign meant something about him or his family right you know and, and, and that's you know that's pretty that's sad that's very sad because that the answer is going to come through collaboration yeah i think so but unfortunately people thus far i i said something you know i put it out there on facebook you know last week to even uh to christians and, and said you need to ask your pastor what the percentage of their their bonded budget goes towards mental health and addiction ministries um, you know, they don't have to go to mine, but do they go to other mental health and addiction ministries? Because chances are they don't. Chances are they go to kids getting food, kids getting this, single moms, all these things that are wonderful, beautiful things. Don't get me wrong. But I believe that all other ministries uh, submit to addiction and mental health ministries because if you don't have sober parents and mentally stable parents, then you can keep feeding kids all day, but they're going to keep needing money because their parents can't do anything. It's like, right. but it's not as sexy. Right. It's, sexy it's, is I give to kids. Yeah, yeah. I kids, give to this stuff. Kids are sexy. I mean, and that's, you know, again, that's uh, the reality. But the other thing is, like, I don't know how many times, and, and I don't think I can remember a time where I've you know, been open with my sobriety, and somebody has said to me, like, there's been that moment of relatedness. Yeah. Whether it's the person, a parent, a brother, you know, a girlfriend, a husband, yeah. whatever it is, whoever I'm talking to, that that hasn't been touched exactly by this thing. You know? Exactly, but it. I think people still are in that place where, kind of like that that man back in '98 or whatever. I don't want to put my name on this because that associates me with that. Right. And so I try to be really bold with my story because, yeah, both my sister and my brother died from drug overdoses. I've almost died multiple times. I've seen men die. I've seen a lot of people die. Yeah. And the battle is still here every day, and I'm willing to fight it. And if you can think of somebody better to give your money to to fight this battle, amen. But give to somebody because the battle will come close to your home one day. And it's going to come knocking. And then you're going to be like, I wish I would have seen a a better way to help this out beforehand. The the, the, 
anybody who you know has a disease or struggles, uh, I'll tell you that the, the in my experience the ending is a phone call. Yeah. And the phone call is one of three things, you know, in jail, mm-hmm. uh, in an or, or death, or I'm got sober. Yeah. You know. I mean, uh, or, or I guess you could say an institution, a mental yeah. hospital or something like that. But a crack I'm, house. Too. A cra- a cra- yeah, but it, it ends in, you know, the, a phone call. Yeah. Um, and and for, for, for a few of us lucky ones or, you know, blessed ones, not blessed ones, but, you know, a couple of us who have, who have walked the path, you know, that, that phone call, at least for the past 26 months, has been the one, the, the one we want to get. You know, yeah. We want to get a lot more, too. Right. Absolutely. So uh, what I want to yep. do is, so I'm writing the book and the, you know, I'm hoping to raise money and write more books, but for now, this one is going to be about recovery and about how we need to change the way we look at it, but we're going to, we're writing it towards the church and it's probably going to get me kicked out of the church, <laughs> but sometimes, hey. I, sometimes I'm not even sure I'm in, so right. I, I know Jesus, right, exactly. so, um, but I, I want to speak some hard truth in, in love. But I, I believe in everything. You and you and I are so aligned in yeah, the way we think. Um, but you know the collaboration. I believe in science. I believe in science and faith coming together. I believe in the steps and whatever path you have. But I believe that we can't do it in isolation, and and we can't just relegate recovery to the people that are trying. We need all of us to be involved. So what I wanted to do is I'm going to read you some of the chapters headings. And then you give like a one or two sentence answer, like just kind of a rapid fire, like what do you think um, of these? And some of them, you know, you may think like, I'm sure don't want to answer that one live. So No, we're good. <laughs> I'll answer them all. All right. I've, I have just a disclaimer. I haven't seen them, so I don't know, right? He so. practices. <laughs> these are actually his. No, I'm just kidding. All right. So I was giving the answers before. I was giving the, the answers debate, before right? it. <laughs> You got a drug test coming up. Yeah. Did you study? <laughs> Did you study? <laughs> All right. So, um, what is recovery anyway? Uh, happy, joyous, and free. Happy, joyous, and free. Mm-hmm. The spiritual community has missed the boat, in my opinion, on recovery. What do you think of that? I think that. Um, uh, but let me preface this. Yeah. I'm speaking to Christian right, right, community, right, right, not just. Well, I, I think that you know, I, I think society has missed the boat on, on mm-hmm. recovery, right, or, or on this disease. So I think that yes, on the micro level, I think you know, uh, religion in general, you know, I think has has missed the boat on it, or doesn't have an understanding of it. You know, I've spoken. You know, I've, I've worked with men who have come in through temples or coming mm-hmm. through you know mosques or you know whatever it is and, and 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 I just think that it's just such a bigger deal than just I mean your experience in because you're in it is you know the church um, but but I think society in general just for our last conversation yeah it's completely missed the boat right um, I probably should have prefaced that like I'll take me out of the statement but if you just thought of church and and recovery Christian church in recovery, is it like automatically like, yeah, they got their stuff together? You know, I mean, I think that I don't know that much about it. I think that the I've heard celebrate recovery. Okay. I know people who've, you know, that that, that, that has gotten a pathway to recovery. Okay. So uh, we probably we covered this one, but do you think addiction is more of a, you know, understand the concept of sin? Um, or have you ever thought of the concept of like a spiritual warfare where it's something outside of us? 
do you think of it as in either one of those or strictly disease? Uh, I think it's a strictly disease in my experience. I think that the uh, sin, definitely not. I think that the disease causes people to sin. I know I've sinned. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, even sober, <laughs> I've sinned, you know, yeah. and I will probably sin again. I, I got seven more sins coming up today. Yeah, exactly. Scheduled. Yeah, exactly. And it's only what three o'clock. <laughs> I'll be lucky if I like just. I mean, if it's only seven. Uh, scientific community. Do you think they've missed the boat on recovery, and how so? I think that the scientific community, uh, and, and you know, big pharma and, and all that thing. I think that they are uh, motivated. You know, to to get. I don't think it's curable, but I think they're motivated. You know, you, you talk about Suboxone. You know, we tried the methadone thing in in the '60s, and um, I understand it intellectually, mm-hmm. right? I understand the idea that if you give somebody something, uh, that they won't go out and rob, steal, and cheat to get to get high. Um, but I don't know if it's uh, a pathway to recovery because it's just trading one for another. Um, but if it can be used, excuse me, if it can be used as a means to an end and not a maintenance thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's other, you know, uh, stuff that's supposed to, uh, you know, just calm the cravings. I think the scientific community, and, and, and I don't want to put big pharma into the scientific community, but for the sake of purposes, I will. Um, but, but I think that there's been great advancement in the understanding of the disease as far as science goes. Right. Um, and I think it was a couple years ago they isolated the, again, this is outside my pay grade, but they isolated the addiction thing. We talk, you, you talk about the reward system, yeah. the dopamine mm-hmm. and all that stuff. So I think on that end, it has helped people understand it more intellectually. Um, but as far as the pharma, like, look, it's the obsession of every alcoholic. Like I can't wait till they come out with it. <laughs> yeah. You know, a pill that can make me drink normally. You yeah, know? that's not that's not gonna happen. No, no I'm not only out hope for that one. So, but they'll yeah. try. You know, and the, you know, so yeah. I mean, look, scientifically, and uh, there are people doing you know great work at the uh, uh, SAMHSA, uh, SAMHSA, and uh, the the I forget the name of it. A lot of alphabets with federal agencies, but <laughs> you know, there's there's good research coming. Out. Yeah. All right, so I, I argue that, you know, deep down all human beings, we desire love and uh, relationship. And in some way, a lot of times addiction comes from a brokenness there. Yeah, I mean, I think that that is the brokenness for me, we talked about earlier, was, you know, a spiritual problem. Yeah. That was when I was broken. And, and whether, you know, it was kindergarten not feeling a part of or not just, you know, having enough confidence, you know, myself mm-hmm. and, and, and just super low self-esteem um that 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 for me is what the disease is about and i like it's in the mind it's in the body it's in the soul wherever it is right that i was i was born broken yeah you know with some sort of idea that i could take something from the outside uh or or that i could find another solution other than a spiritual solution to a spiritual problem yeah um most people say this, but your thoughts is usually like twelve steps to relapse. Twelve steps to relapse. Uh, Many steps beforehand. Yeah, I mean, I think that, like I said, the relapse in my story happened the moment that somebody told me that it was a pretty easy program. All I had to do was change my whole life, and I didn't use for about four months after that. But at that moment, 
Like, there's a big, in my opinion, a, a big misunderstanding about a relapse. If this were a drink, and I picked it up and I drank it, that's not my relapse. My relapse probably happened months before. That's the point. Right. And it was about changing the behavior. Like, with my story with my ex-wife. Yep. You know? That, that, I was on a road to relapse. Sure. Um, but that didn't mean I had to relapse. So, you know, the misconception is relapse happens when you take the drink. Yeah. Or the drug. But it's it's the, what happened before that. It's it's the actions. It's the you know with your Harley thing or whatever yeah. it is. It's like that when you get distracted about from your primary purpose mm-hmm. is, is is where it happens. So, chips are a big part of AA time. Um, what do you think of choices over chips? In other words, like some guys just like I just need that thirty day chip. I just need that ninety day chip. I need that six month chip. I personally found that to be detrimental to me mm. because I, I yeah, it's, it's just because I get to 60 days and then I screw up and I'm yeah. like, I got 60 more days. Yeah. I get to a year sober and I'm like a year and day and screw up. And I'm like, it wasn't until I finally said, I'm not counting that days, yeah. anymore. What are your thoughts on that? I think if you can use it as, um, as not as I can't wait to get to 60 days, I can't wait to get to 90 days. Because then I think internalize you're internalizing a reward at the end of that, right? And, yeah. But I think that if you can stay in the present, and, and look, there, if, I'd be lying to you if I didn't say there's a lot wrapped up in when I say 26 years. Well, yeah. But you know, and that's you know, that's gotten actually less over time. Like, I think the last chip that I picked up, you know, went to the big, set. there's a Saturday night meeting here in town, it's like Saturday night fever, it's 450, yeah, yeah. you know, it's a big rah-rah meeting. Uh, and I used to go, you know, every year. Uh, I think the last time I went for, uh, I think I go on milestones, like 20 I went, I went last year to pick up 25, All right. so I don't go every year, but, but, but there is... Uh, as long as you can keep, I think the only one that I really was holding hope for was the one year. You know, right. and, and, and for whatever reason, you know, once I got that, it wasn't like, okay, now I can, now, now I've graduated. I've never had that sense, but I understand that some people do, and, and we are wrapped up in time a lot, but it shouldn't be, because the secret is, it, it, and although I don't stick to the script all the time, there's nothing different I should be doing mm-hmm. than somebody on their first day of sobriety. Yeah. And yeah. that's the script. Yeah. Right, and and so as long as I can keep somewhat humble with that, you know, <laughs> relatively humble, yeah, you know, yeah. and understand that there, it's the same thing. It's the same prescription. Sure, for that person, it yeah. is for me. Yeah, it doesn't. change. I just have a couple more days, you know. Yeah, yeah. That kind of goes into our next one: is like healing versus curing. What do you think of? Obviously, we've talked about it. There isn't a cure, but the the process of healing in our recovery. That is ongoing, right? Oh yeah, and there are, yeah. Life. I mean, these life. I mean, that is recovery, and then there's life, right? And and I, I, 